Hello and welcome to Written in Uncertainty, an Elder Scrolls podcast sat firmly in the grey maybe of Tamriel, and proud member of the Robots Radio Podcast Network. My name is Aramethius, and today we're looking at one of those things where sufficiently advanced magic becomes indistinguishable from technology, where a god was made, and then made a tool of conquest, and also breaks the world whenever it's switched on. Today we're asking, what is the new medium? Before we get to that though, I just want to update people with a few things to do with the Robots Radio Network. We have a bunch of new shows come in. Tom has been very, very busy setting up new shows. Uh, We have the Mass Effect Lorecast. There's a new Mass Effect game coming out, so if you want to get caught up on the lore of that series and all of the various factions and history of that world, go and check out the Mass Effect Lorecast. The Witcher Lorecast is coming out as well. And he's also got the Xbox Game Pass show, which is looking at all of the news surrounding the Xbox Game Pass service, what's coming out on there, what's going away, and how this service works, all that sort of stuff. So do go and check all those shows out. For Written in Uncertainty, I have two new patrons since we last spoke. Thank you ever so much to everyone who supports me on Patreon. I really, really appreciate your support, and I'm so glad that this show is something that you'd like to support but thank you in particular this time to rob the balloon guy and gregory phillips who have come on board thank you ever so much guys and i do hope you've been enjoying the access to the notes and the patreon only chat that happens with each episode as it comes out because i drop the notes down and then people get talking about the subject of the episode while i'm writing the notes and i can incorporate that into the episode so one of the best ways to make sure that I'm talking about things that you want talked about on the show is to become a patron. And so I can actually look into the areas of a thing that you want to look into while I'm writing the notes. So thank you again to Rob the Balloon Guy and Gregory Phillips. Thank you ever so much, guys. I really appreciate your support. If you want to become a patron of the show and get exclusive access to those notes and early access to any content as it comes out, then sign up at patreon.com forward slash written in uncertainty and you can get access to all of that good stuff. If you just want to say thank you for producing the show on a one-off donation, then I also have an account on Ko-fi. So if you go to ko-fi.com forward slash Aramithius, that's ko-fi.com forward slash Aramithius and just drop a tip in the jar there. That's awesome as well. And another way that you can support the show generally without throwing any additional money our way is through sponsors. Tom has been working really hard to bring the Robots Radio some fantastic sponsors and we've got a whole bunch that you can look at at writtenuncertainty.com forward slash sponsors. And one in particular that I want to highlight is is NordVPN. If you're concerned about your online security and want to use a VPN, do you want to obscure what you're doing and keep your data safe? And potentially also, I'm told, switch up exactly what streaming services give you based on your location. A VPN is a really great way to do that. And if you go through now, you can get 72% off a two-year subscription. That's three months free off that subscription plan. It works out as £2.44 per month. I'm not totally sure what that is in dollars, but it sounds like an absolute steal to me compared to the over £200 that you'll be paying for the first two years. It's now £65 if you go through the link. So if you want to keep your data safe and all of your family's data as well, as far as I understand it, uh, through a VPN, then go to the link in the show notes. 
And with that, we should get to Numidium, probably. I just want to start, as usual, by saying this is my own understanding of Numidium and probably not the entire truth of the matter. Uh, I obviously dig up all the sources and so on myself, and so I may miss things, you may have different ideas, and if so, I would absolutely love to hear them. Drop me an email at writteninuncertaintypodcast at gmail.com, tweet me at Aramithius, or join the Written Uncertainty Discord and get talking about it. I absolutely love to hear what other ideas are out there. I do try and present a balanced picture of what uh, the common theories are with each thing I discuss, but obviously I've got my own biases here. So if you have other ideas, please do get in touch. I'd love to talk those over and present those ideas in the podcast. And if you want to check out all of the references and so on that I'm making with this podcast, I will be linking them all in the blog post that accompanies this podcast at writteninuncertainty.com forward slash podcast forward slash numidium. So if you want to see if I'm using all the sources correctly, see what else is in them, then go and check that out. But first of all, just to talk about what the numidium is in brief, it's basically a giant Tamrielic robot. That's about all of the commonality that you'll get between the various incarnations of the numidium because there have been different versions of it throughout Tamriel's history, and we'll get to the why of that later. Most of what we'll be talking about refers to a giant brass figure built by the Numidium and intended to become their new god, which may or may not have been the same thing as them. Ironically, it was never actually used by the Dwemer, but rather by Tiber Septim in his conquest of Tamriel, specifically against Somerset. It was then destroyed following the completion of the conquest by Zur and Arctus. It was then reassembled by the Blades over many years until it was reactivated in the year 417 of the Third Era and caused the warp in the West. And from what we can tell, no versions of the Numidium survived that event, at least nothing from entirely canon sources if you're fussed about that. There was also a version of the Numidium that was supposedly responsible for the destruction of Nern and its gods in the lead up to the events of Coda in the Fifth Era. But exactly whether you want to take that depends on what your view of canon is, but we will be talking about that. I will be specifying where any unlicensed stuff comes in, so you can take that or leave that as you see fit. I personally think it's a, a really interesting set of ideas about the new medium, but we'll get to that. The Numidium is also considered to be one of the towers. That It's called the Brass Tower or Walk Brass. I suppose that we could possibly count it as a Merithic Tower as it was built by the Dwemer, but it doesn't really fit into any of the strict categories for towers, at least considering how it's mobile and tends to be associated with destruction and negation rather than necessarily upholding Mundus, which is generally agreed to be the purpose of the towers. And honestly, I'm not even sure that that's entirely right, but we'll get to that. In this world, in the game development cycle, the new medium was originally created as an adjunct to a MacGuffin for the Elder Scrolls to Daggerfall. The MacGuffin itself, that's the bits of the game, is the Totem of Tiber Septim, which was used to control the Numidium. The Numidium was conceived of as a giant golem, a war machine of sorts, or a giant. We have a fusion of both of those sorts of ideas in the introduction to the thing that we get in Daggerfall. Quote, 
Numidium was supposed to be a giant so big his hands could knock the moons from the sky. I do not recall the stories of whether Numidium was supposed to be good or bad, but the legends used to scare me as a child. And we also have this outline from the Daggerfall Chronicles. Quote, the Blades are a group of knights who work surreptitiously for the good of the Empire all over Tamriel. Their goal is to repair the great iron golem Numidium, which forcibly pulled the Empire together hundreds of years before under the rule of Cyber Septim. So at this stage we have the idea that the Numidium is a giant golem which was used to forge Tiber's empire. However, the connection to the Dwemer, which is the thing you'll hear most often about the Numidium, wasn't there. That only gets brought in with the book The Arcturian Heresy from The Elder Scrolls III and the various other bits and pieces of the Dwemer background that come into that game. It's not something that particularly has its own will at the time of Daggerfall. Uh, that's what the totem is for. And I think the bridging point between this older Genesis and the one that gets made for the new medium in The Elder Scrolls 3 is the text The Skeleton Man's Interview with the Denizens of Tamriel, where Yul Marshi claims that, quote, Numidium was the prize of all dwarven war machines, ferreted out by the blades, they say, and rebuilt in the laboratories of the battle mages of Cyrodiil. And then Dromakshi says that the Hall of the Colossus was, quote, where Big Walker was born, so where Numidium was born. These two have a fair bit of tension going on, although I think Marshi's is the first attempt at establishing a Dwemer origin for the Numidium. Later games do fill in the Numidium's creation quite a bit more, uh, that it was created by the Dwemer as part of a harnessing of Lokan's heart by Kagranak, in rough summary. I've talked about the Dwemeri philosophy before in this podcast, so if you want a full treatment of how I understand Dwemer philosophy, go back and listen to the first episode of this podcast, or the first one where I'm not just outlining what the podcast is about. The Skeleton Man's interview gives us some more hints about this, particularly the words of Zal, who is a human Murakati in the Third Era, which is very strange, because Maruk and his followers didn't really seem to go much beyond the First Era, but that that whole context of that quote should speak volumes for the kinds of changes that were going on to the law and in the world of Tamriel at that sort of a time. So bearing in mind that the law was still quite a bit in flux from around while Skeleton Man's interview was being produced, Zal says this quote, The brass god is Anumidum, the prime gestalt. He is also called the divine skin. He was meant to be used many times by our kind to transcend the grey maybe. Do not think, as others do, that Kagranak created the Anumidum for petty motivations, such as a reputation of the gods. Kagranak was devoted to his people, and the dwarves, despite what you may have read, were a pious lot. He would not have sacrificed so many of their golden souls to create Numidium's metal body if it were all in the name of Grand Theatre. Kagranak had even built the tools needed to construct a mantella, the crux of Transcendent. But by then, and for a long time coming, the Doom of Dwarves marched upon the mountain and they were removed from this world. So by this account, the Numidium, or the Numidum, was created as part of the Dwemer's goal to transcend the limits of mortality via the creation of a new god. 
there's a line in the text Dagath Ur's plans constructed by the Tribunal Temple that I think is at least the Temple's perception on what the Numidium was supposed to be, which strikes something like close to the truth. Quote, Establish a theocracy in Morrowind based on the worship of the newborn god Akula Khan, second Numidium, to be created by Dagoth Ur from the heart of Lorcan and a body constructed according to the principles and rituals pioneered by the Dwemer Kagranach. Establish the ancient heirs of House Dagoth as the god priests of Akula Khan and the sixth house of Dagoth Ur as the dominant political power in Morrowind. Through charismatic conversion, unite the Dwemer under the guidance of Dagoth Ur to battle against the foreign animals who hold Morrowind in subjection. Note, Dagoth Ur has apparently adopted the views and motivations of the Dwemer High Craft Lord Kagranak. In effect, he recapitulates the ancient blasphemous folly of the Dwemer. Now, while that's going on about Dagoth Ur rather than the new medium as such, it implies that the temple understand that the original purpose of the new medium was something like a traditional god. They were expecting it to be worshipped and to be a vessel for transcendence of the Dwemer race. It wasn't necessary to combine all the souls of the Dwemer at once in order to allow them to reascend. However, we have a line from Baladas Demnavani which talks about, quote, generations of ritualistic anti-creations. And if that's true, it means that the Dwemer could have been using a partially assembled Numidium to process their souls in a way, and the final activation was just sort of the capstone achievement to kind of catch up the last few stragglers, um, whereas most of them would have already already gone there. This implies that the original purpose of the Numidium was something like a traditional god, because we get the sense that they think it's going to be worshipped as well as potentially being a tool for transcendence or something of the Dwemer race. It wasn't necessarily to combine all of the Dwemer at once in order to allow them to reascend, though. Um, I think we get a clue as to what we think they think they were doing in the words of Baladas Demnavani. He talks about, quote, generations of ritualistic anti-creations, uh, which goes back to, again, what Zal was saying about being used many times by his race, but Zal was a human, but anyway, um, it being used many times over to achieve whatever the Dwemer were trying to achieve. But if it's being done by that point, the Dwemer were still there before that final activation. So if it's already been being used in the generations of ritualistic anti-creations, we get the sense that it's not necessarily just being used to make them disappear, but perhaps instead make them into gods. It could be that the Dwemer were using a partially assembled Numidium to process their souls or do something to them, and the final activation was just the capstone achievement. Uh, that does, however, mean that we get something of a contradiction between the various rumours that we hear swirling about the Dwemer. Um, as I say, the idea that they were making themselves gods is present in a few places, but they are also some hints about making themselves immortal, which is kind of what Dagothur was doing with letting the blight go everywhere because Corpus makes you ageless. But the clearest source we have for the Dwemer wanting to make themselves gods um, is in Narevar at Red Mountain, or at least make themselves immortal. 
we have this from Narivar at Red Mountain, quote, House Dagoth had discovered the source of the profane and the secret power of the Dwemer, the legendary heart of Lorcan, which Dumak's people had used to make themselves immortal and beyond the measure of the gods. In fact, one of their high priests, Kagranak, was building a new god so that the Dwemer could claim Resdane for their own. Now that new god is of course Numidium, and the key here is that they had used the heart of Lorcan to make themselves permanent, make themselves immortal. That goes against the idea of ritualistic anti-creation that Demnavani talks about. It, it does echo it in a way that they're using the heart of Lorcan before the Numidium gets activated, but it's not anti-creation that's the goal here. They wouldn't need the Numidium to make them gods if that's the case. It's it's explicitly linked to conquest as well, that it talks about the heart of Lorcan putting the Dwemer beyond the measure of the gods, and it's not the Numidium. The new god is just something that's used for conquest, and it's just a war machine to the Ashlanders, similar to the original stories in Daggerfall, and kind of similar, I suppose, to the stuff that's in Dagoth Ur's plan. It's establishing that the Numidium is something to be worshipped rather than the combination of all of the Dwemer. The difference to what we see about most of the discussion of the Numidium is that all of these accounts really seem to present the Numidium as a thing to destroy things rather than a machine that's being used to transcend. The Heart of Lorcan is, absolutely, but that's not linked to the Numidium at this point. However, I am inclined to go with the idea that the Numidium is being used as a thing to transcend, as an ascension machine, and most of the community have over time. The most obvious way of going with this is to think that the Dwemer were trying to become a new god, as stated in a few places. Um, this is stated in Baladas Damnavani's words directly, in a sense. Quote, it was unfashionable among the Dwemer to view their spirits as synthetic constructs 3, 4 or 40 creational gradients below the divine. During the Dawn era they researched the death of the earth bones, what we now call the laws of nature, dissecting the process of the sacred willing itself into the profane. I believe their machinists and tonal architects discovered systematic regression techniques to perform the reverse, that is to create the sacred from the death of the profane. That's the biggest clue we have that the act that made the Dwemer disappear wasn't an accident. In taking all of the remaining Dwemer at once, it melds them all together into something sacred. Demnavani also describes the book Divine Metaphysics as a book about, quote, how the Dwemer tried to make a new god, Anumidium, using Kagranak's tools and the sacred tones on Lorcan's heart. So, Piecing those two things together, we can see that Demnavani believes that Kagranak was trying to make the Numidium into a god using tonal architecture and the souls of the Dwemer, which will take them back from being mortals to gods, reversing what has been done before. There's still some potential tampering that went on just using the heart of Lorcan um, to make themselves immortal and all that, but the primary purpose is to combine them together to make the Dwemer back into gods. It's possible that this is also achieved by the use of Dragon Breaks, which I think is one of the simplest answers. I know it's a get-out clause in the community, but I think it fits here. The Numidium is a Dragon Break machine. 
whenever it's turned on, there is a dragon break. That, that's happened every single time. And there's only one confirmed dragon break that happens in the series that didn't involve the Numidium being switched on, which was the Middle Dawn. It, although even that has some measure of being used for transcendence. The book Where Were You When the Dragon Broke has Manamarco claim that he, quote, learned his mystery from the Middle Dawn when the Selectives broke the dragon by dancing on the tower. If you want to find out more about that, go back and listen to the episode I did on Manamarco. But similarly, Vivek also became a god in the possible dragon break during the Battle of Red Mountain and the Red Moment. However, I'm not sure that this is something that was necessarily an intended consequence of the new medium's design. We have this comment from Michael Kirkbride, the writer who is, is responsible for a lot of the weirdness around New Medium. And he made this point on the forums at some point in the dim and distant past. There's no date to it, I don't think. Quote, It's not the brass god that wrecks everything so much as it is all of the planets and timelines that orbit it singing world refusals. Now, this is more in line with the New Medium's description in Coda, where those planets do make an appearance in the description. More than anything we see in the games, we don't see the Iron Golem that's described in... We don't see the Iron Golem that's described in Daggerfall as having things orbiting it. We don't see that in anything that's connected with the Dwemer. So it may just be a development that's later in the New Medium's timeline, so to speak. So I'm not totally sure that this was an intentional part of the New Medium's design by the Dwemer. However, I do know that MK considered the Dwemer engaged in what he called the heroic abrogation of everything, which is uh, in a forum post somewhere. I've tried to find the original source, but it's lost to the depth of history. I think it was made sometime around 2008. The heroic abrogation of everything maybe a philosophy that encourages world refusal. I mean, the name itself certainly sounds like it. Uh, this is also a part of where the new medium being associated with negation and no comes from. That philosophy of world refusal. This isn't simple nihilism or solipsism. The Dwemer and by extension the new medium don't simply believe that nothing matters or that nothing else is real. They deny reality, but they also deny their own existence. Nihilism is just nothing matters, we're all simple beings and there's nothing beyond the physical that will last or nothing that will last full stop, whether or not you believe in non-physical or physical. Solipsism is the idea that you are the only thing that actually exists uh, because everything else can simply be a construction of your own subconscious, or not your own subconscious, but of your own mind. And so you can't know that the things and the people that you're experiencing are actually things that have an existence independent from you. That's not anything to do with that, because the Dwemer deny their own existence. That puts both of those options off the table. The New Medium also seems to function as a level of translating the Dwemer into something else, uh, which implies that there's some level of escape from something, whether it's their current mode of existence or reality altogether. Uh, Scourgicus has posited that the Dwemer were attempting to use the new medium to achieve some form of collective amnesia, and obliteration would serve the same function that the Dwemer were trying to 
make a god that would erase them entirely out of existence and not leave any sort of residue. That isn't really something that I'm 100% behind because there's so much talk and so much evidence of the Numidium being used as an ascension tool. There isn't much information about precisely how it was supposed to function that way, even for something that causes a lot of dragon breaks. I've seen um, talk in the community that the Numidium was possibly an expression of a walking way. You'll hear several different opinions on which walking way. Most commonly, that's soul stacking. Uh, this is got at through Sermon 36 of the 36 Lessons of Vivek, which says this. Each of the aspects of the Alm Sivi then rose up together, combining as one, and showed the world the sixth path. That establishes the idea of Almalexia, Vivek, and Sothasil combining into one thing, which is apparently a walking way. And this is a particularly poetic twist as it's this action that's part of defeating the Numidium in the 36 Lessons narrative. The Numidium being defeated by its own method of godhood in a, in a sense, but it's also the idea that if they were trying to combine together, they being the Dwemer, were trying to combine together to become the new Numidium, then we have a possible walking way that we can link with that. Uh, there's also some backing from this in this particular passage from the love letter from the fifth era which is an unlicensed text so take that as you will written by michael kirkbride but it says this quote you in the fourth era have already witnessed many of the attempts at reaching the final subgradient of all ae that state that exists beyond mortal death the numidium the endeavor the prolix tower chim the enantiomorph the scarab that transforms into the new man the most common interpretation of this list is that they are the walking ways. It's also neat that there are six of them in line with the quote from Sermon 6 of the 36 Lessons that says six are the walking ways from enigma to enemy to teacher. However, I'm not sure that this is the comprehensive list. Most particularly that the Sijic Endeavour is noted as being a way to achieve Chim by Michael Kirkbride in a forum post rather than a distinct walking way in itself and as he's the one that came up with both of those I'd hope that he would have a sense of what the walking ways were and so on but I also think it's cooler that um, the endeavor is its own thing so I want I really want that to be a list of the walking ways but it's possible that it's not there is also this line from another place in Sermon 6 of the 36 Lessons, quote, There is a fourth kind of philosophy that uses nothing but disbelief. Uh, this has been taken by quite a few people as a possible expression of the philosophy that the Dwemer used or followed, because they're the, quote, atheists in a world where gods definitely exist. Some people take that to be a walking way that the kind of philosophy that uses nothing but disbelief, although that does moderately contradict another of Kirkbride's posts that says, quote, the storm crown mantled by way of the fourth, with reference to Tiber's ascension via mantling, which is also called the steps of the dead. But either way, it's possible that the Numidian was created with the intent of leveraging a walking way to ascend to godhood, but I don't think we know enough to say which one or how. 
I also think it's possible there was something deeper going on with how the new medium was being used, that it's not a walking way in itself, but the gateway to a walking way or something similar. Uh, this comes from some ideas that were present around in the time between The Elder Scrolls 2 and The Elder Scrolls 3. There were several ideas surrounding the new medium and the concept of a mantella at this time. Note that's a mantella, not just the mantella. So the mantella of The Elder Scrolls 2 could possibly be only one example of that. In particular, we have it called a crux of transcendence in both the skeleton man's interview and some other posts like the made up word roundup. Exactly what that means is unclear um, until we get to some posts in the made up world roundup, which is an old forum thread where a bunch of concepts got explored. And by old, I think it was pre Morrowind, I think. But in the roundup, we have this quote. We know Kagranak made the tools to create a mantella, a crux of transcendence. For those who don't read the tarot, the hanged man in tarot symbolizes the crux of transcendence, suffering to gain transcendence, Jesus on the cross, Odin hanging from the tree to gain wisdom, etc. As well as echoing Lorcan's suffering in order to create Mundus, this may hint at the ultimate fate of the Dwemer and the purpose of the new medium. In putting the Dwemer through some form of suffering, Kagranak may have intended to bind the Dwemer to the new medium in order to make them suffer in some way. The word Mantella itself now effectively just means the big green gem that Tiber Septim used to power the new medium during his various wars of conquest. But if we take this broader meaning into account, we have some other more funky things going on as regards to the new medium's creation. If the new medium was meant to be a crux of transcendence, a thing or a place to put the Dwemer through suffering in order to gain transcendence, it puts a very different spin on things compared to the idea of simply smashing all of the Dwemer souls back together and then becoming some sort of divine brass Voltron. Maybe it's not in becoming the new medium itself that the Dwemer are intended to become a god or gods, but instead through the suffering inflicted on them by becoming the new medium, by becoming something that is almost powerless, but I'm getting a little ahead of, ahead of myself there. But whatever the Dwemer were trying to accomplish with the new medium, it's clear that the new medium didn't activate. While some people are saying can say that at the Battle of Red Mountain, stuff just went wrong. Kagranak made a mistake um, when he was using the tools on the heart. Uh, and that's entirely possible. Um, I've also seen it suggested that the Numidium ended up as a form of Dwemeri Hell in a fantastic piece by Scourgicus. And that sort of thinking, that the crux of transcendence thinking, agrees with that in broad terms. However, while Scourgicus piece suggests that the Numidium is seeking self-annihilation and through that the annihilation of the Dwemer in just in order to forget that they do not really exist. I'm going to take a slightly different tack on that. It's not precisely Dwemery Hell that I think it is, but Dwemery Purgatory. The souls of the Dwemer exist in the Numidium as the golden skin for the purpose of cleansing their souls and bringing them to their eventual transcendence. In this, they're acting a little like the Daedra, who are bound into ebony to form Daedric weapons and armor, who apparently suffer in the process. There's some fantastic dialogue um, from Gurthamuk Gro Masgrub in The Elder Scrolls 3 on this, quote, 
Daedric weapons are made from raw ebony that's been refined using the craft and magical substances of the lesser minions of Oblivion. This process is not a pleasant one for the Daedra involved, and the weapons retain echoes of preternaturally prolonged suffering endured during manufacture. If the process of the creation of the Midium is the same for the Dwemer, I think it certainly qualifies as suffering, um, and that could be a way for them to achieve transcendence. Or maybe it's something more akin to Vivek's time with Molag Baal during the Pomegranate Banquet, that it's through being used by others that the transcendence is, is achieved, that it's a form of willing submission in order to gain wisdom or some other form of boon. We've already talked about the Numidium potentially having some relations to the Walking Ways, but it also has some definite references to Tower lore, um, which can associate it with deeper magic and probably transcendence if you hand wave things a bit. The Numidium is the Brass Tower or Walk Brass. It's also slightly odd as a tower, frankly, because for one thing it's mobile, but for another it's also often talked about as a thing destroying the world, while towers generally are explicitly linked with maintaining the world. It fits if we consider a tower, or at least Merific Towers, to be things that point towards their culture's view of the world or how they should reach back to godhood. Crystal-like lore is a remembrance of the Ultima that the Ultima believe they should imitate the ways of their ancestors and get to godhood that way. Green Sap remembers the possibilities and mutability of the Dawn and everything that came with that. Red Heart isn't a great fit, frankly, but it could be a link to Lokan's original plan and the Triangle Truth, and it certainly becomes that when linked with Dun Dunmurray theology. And White Gold strives to imitate and manipulate the entire Arabis. The Numidium fits into that mix by being an expression of the Dwemer denying the world and recombining to become a god again. That doesn't fit if you consider towers just to be imitations of Adamantia and its purpose of commemorating the mortal plane, because Numidium is an escape route from that. But there is one source that strongly implies that the Numidium is tied to the maintenance of the Arabis, or at least keeping Mundus and the Arabis taking over in its current form. Uh, that source is the truth in sequence which describes the Numidium like this in Volume 5, quote, But most profane is this, the walking horror that bears the name N.M., the brass tower of vanity, the mindless guardian of the Nern Prior, the antipodal god-thing that reigns on the darkest pole of the sacred Nern Sphere. Of all the threats to Tamriel Final, N.M. is the greatest, Anuvanasi. The Daedra can be banished by thought, but NM must be sundered on Nern. It is the welded knot at the centre of Anu that must be untied, the god puzzle. Uh, this describes the Numidium as both a tower and the keeper of what came before, so in keeping with the traditional thoughts around towers. But this runs counter to the idea that the Numidium is meant to help things move beyond Mundus, and that it's meant to destroy things. Unless it's an echo of things to come in Coda, which is very possible, where the Numidium destroys things enough that the world of Nern remains as a sort of a lifeless husk 
without the ability to move forward. It destroys everything so that there's just nothing sitting there and that nothing can't then move beyond. That would, in a sense, both preserve the world and destroy it. And it's this sort of juxtaposition that's led several fans to consider the new medium to be Anuic. That is a force for stasis in the Elder Scrolls universe, as well as a little bit of wordplay. The fans tend to associate the new medium with no, with negation, most, again, mostly thanks to its portrayal in Coda. That sense of stasis as preservation may well be what Deldries, who's the author of The Truth and Sequence, is driving at. Although it would be a change in tone from the rest of the text, frankly, because the truth in sequence generally considers Anuic unity to be a good thing. It's possible that this is a cultural hangover from the hatred of the Dwemer and that Deldries isn't really quite joining the dots between preservation and Anuic stuff, but I think that it's more than that. It's that the Numidium won't be ending the world to bring about something better. It's possible that this would end the world to bring about nothing. And this certainly fits with the more nihilistic interpretations of the Duoma philosophy, but that's only one perspective on it. It's the one I think I share, as I think one way to get to the unity and parity that the Duoma crave is to annihilate all other perspectives. And if you want to see more on my reasoning for that, I did write a piece several years ago called The Many-Faceted Pool, which it basically explains how I think the Dwemer possibly originally conceived of the Numidium. In Spinozan terms, it was a, intended to be a Dwemerary text explaining the thought process behind the creation of the, the Numidium. And it was also a very, very obvious imitation of um, Benedict Spinoza's philosophical writing style. Uh, there will be links for that in the blog post that accompanies this cast. So if you want to have have a read of that, then do. It'll also be in the show notes. But for all that, I'm aware that the idea that uh, the new medium isn't a newic thing and all that isn't the only answer, particularly given how varied the uses and reinterpretations of the new medium have been throughout its history. With that, it's probably time that we talked about the Numidian being used by other people because the Dwemer have been far from the only ones to use this behemoth throughout its history. First of all, I wanted to discuss the Numidian and Manimarko and just clear up a quick misconception that I may have made at some point and I'm sure other people have as well. That Some people will claim that Manimarko used the Numidian to become a god and that's not entirely correct. What actually happens at the end of the Elder Scrolls 2, if you give the Totem of Tiber Septim to Manamarco, is this. The Metellans hurl from Etherius, and although drawn to the empty chest of Great Numidium, the will of the King of Worms commands us to his side. With its power, the King of Worms leaves his mortal frame and joins the ranks of the gods of Oblivion. This isn't Manamarco using Numidium, as some might talk about. I, as I said, may have said this at some point, and if so, I'm sorry. But the totem allowed Manimarko to restrain Numidium in order to grab the Mantella, not grab the Numidium. And that's how Manimarko became a god, not through the use of Numidium. Tiber Septim also used the Numidium 
in what is possibly the most boring way you could use a metal god thing, frankly. He used it to lay siege to Alinor and conquer Tamriel. The majority of the Numidian was secured in the armistice that was signed with the tribunal during his wars, but from some of the language in the Arcturian heresy, I think it's possible that some other parts were secured from somewhere else. The heresy says that, quote, pieces of Numidium trickle in though, which implies that Tiber didn't get it all in one lump. Exactly where else the other bits of it went, I have no idea, seeing as it wasn't exploded or anything during the Battle of Red Mountain, it just didn't activate. So maybe bits of it were stolen by looters over the years, that's the closest thing I can come to, to a reason why there wouldn't be all the bits of the Numidium in one place. But however the Numidium was sourced, Tiber reassembled it in the Halls of the Colossus, which one source claims was built for the purpose. But quite obviously, this place exists during the Interregnum in the Elder Scrolls Online. But brushing that bit of uncertainty aside and just thinking, yes, we have ESO to confirm that that's definitely the case. So it wasn't purpose built by Tiber Septim. It seems that switching it on has made Rimen radioactive. The Khajiit Dromakshi says this about its activation in Skeleton Man's interview, quote, Talos, he annexed a swath of bounty land in Enequanal and cleared the Khajiiti out by force. There's where he built the Hall of the Colossus, a mighty name for a secret testing warehouse. And that's where Big Walker was born. And that's why part of our elsewhere is still poisoned glow rock, where no cats go. Now that sounds an awful lot like the Numidian's activation also produced the magical equivalent of a nuclear wasteland. And as well as that, it caused a dragon break. In Where Were You When the Dragon Broke, the tender to the main says this, quote, We'll give you credit. You broke Alkosh something fierce and that's not easy. Just don't think you solved what you accomplished by it or can ever solve it. You did it again with Big Walker, not once but twice. Once at Rimen, which we'll never learn to live with. So not only is the Numidium a war golem now, it's very explicitly a nuclear weapon within Tamriel's context. Those parallels are a little on the nose here, but it also applies elsewhere as well. And we'll get to that once we cover the warp in the West. There was also some tampering that seems to have gone on with the Numidium at this point because its activation and control mechanism changes. The events of the Elder Scrolls 2 are not around the recovery of the Numidium itself. That was already done by the Blades, as we already heard. But its control rod, the Totem of Tiber Septim. This was a thing that could only be used by Tiber, his descendants, or powerful mages to control the Numidium. We have no evidence of any such control rod outside of the Elder Scrolls too, so I'm inclined to think it was something that Zurin Arctus retrofitted into the Numidium during the point it was rebuilt in the Halls of the Colossus. This also implies that when it was originally conceived, the Numidium was meant to be self-directing, probably. Although whether it was meant to derive its motive force from the Dwemer that combined within it, or with the motivations of the Heart of Lorcan, is an open question. There's a rich vein of speculation centered around the Numidium's link to the Heart that essentially says that the Dwemer were somehow co-opted, imprisoned, or otherwise sucked away by Lorcan because of the presence of the Heart in its construction and attempted activation, but we have very little evidence to support that. 
However, I think given that the Mantella was used to activate it, and Xeranarchus exercised very little control over the Numidium when it was activated, that Lorcan's motivations may not have featured heavily in the Dwemer's intentions for the Numidium, simply because we have a motive soul when the Numidium was activated, and that soul didn't really seem to control it all that well. So I don't think that was what Dwemer had planned. Although most sources will say that Tiber only deployed the Numidium against Somerset, we have this from the introduction to the Elder Scrolls 2 that suggests that not only was it used to crush multiple opponents in Tiber's wars, but also to quell rebellions that arose after Tamriel was conquered. Quote, the Mantella was infused with the life force of Tiber Septim's Imperial Battle Mage, and with it Tiber Septim crushed all who stood in his way. After the complete and total defeat of all his opponents, Septim began using the Numidium to crush the neutral royal families of Tamriel so that he could enthrone only persons he knew to be loyal. Were it not that this was the reason given for Zurin Arctus destroying the Numidium, I would really want to ignore this. Not because I want to paint Tiber as more saintly than he was, he was a world-class, world-conquering scumbag, but simply because it just feels so mundane. You, you have a god mecha at your command, and you use it to stamp out rebellions, and frankly, if you're using it to get rid of political opponents, unless you're trying to get rid of their whole families as well, doing something that can just stamp and destroy houses probably isn't the most subtle way to do it. Um, I guess at this point it's was just a giant stompy robot and not a god mecha, but still, it, it kind of bothers me. We have a hint of some of the conquests, um, or some of the suppressions, it's not really clear which, in vol volume 2 of The Real Baron Zaya, which says this, quote, The little girl blinked back tears and waved bravely with one hand. Her favourite stuffed toy animal, a grey wolf cub she called Vuffen, clutched at her breast in the other. She never had never been parted from her parents before and had no idea what it meant, save that there was war in the West and the names of Tiber Septim and Symarchus were on everyone's lips, spoken with hate and dread. Baron Zaya, the soldiers cried, lifting their lances and swords and bows. Then her dear parents turned and rode away, soldiers trailing in their wake until the palace was near emptied. Sometime after came a day when Baron Zaya was shaken awake by her nurse, dressed hurriedly and carried from the palace. All she remembered of that dreadful time was seeing a huge shadow with burning eyes that filled the sky. I wanted the whole of that passage because it helps situate where this is all happening. So this is when Tiber Septim first comes to Mournhold. There's talks of rumblings of war in the West and that sort of thing. So the conquest obviously hasn't happened yet. So if this was happening after Mournhold was conquered, I would expect that the names of Symmachus and Tiber Septim wouldn't be new or quite as dreadful in how they're put across. There are other hints, like later on in the narrative, when Tiber Septim speaks to Baron Zyra of a united Tamriel, that it hasn't happened yet. And so it's still in the point where Tiber Septim is conquering everything. But that last section is what I want to focus on, though. It's kind of blink and you miss it. But that huge shadow and those burning eyes sounds very like an Elder Scrolls II-era description of the Numidium to me. So nothing else Tiber Septim had at his command was that big or that ominous. 
but it was used to attack Mournhold. This isn't possible if Tiber only gets the Numidium after the Armistice. There is a possibility that my assumptions about the timing of the Numidian's attack are wrong, and this was part of the subjugation of disloyal nobles. Certainly, the events after this kind of hint at that. This is where Baron Zaya gets carried away and then reintroduced as the good, compliant queen of Morrowind. But I don't think that the rest of the narrative of the real Baron Zaya supports that. It, it would be the cleanest way to deal with that inconsistency, but I just don't think the narrative is pushing it at that um, in that way. It's also worth remembering maybe that the Numidium wasn't associated with the Dwemer or with the Morrowind at this particular point in time, and so the idea of using the Numidium on Morrowind seems perfectly reasonable. But that's the only real in-universe portrayal that we have of the Numidium getting deployed. We have vanishingly few accounts of what the Numidium was even like from an in-universe perspective. Um, we do have another little nugget of what Siege of Alanor was, again from one of Michael Kirkbride's forum posts. Quote, The surrender of Alanor happened in one hour, but Numidium's siege lasted from the Mythic Era until long into the Fifth. Some Merlogicians of the Ultima fight it still in chrysalis shells that phase in and out of Tamrielic Prime, and their brethren know nothing of their purpose unless they stare too long and break their own posse points. Given that the Numidium caused a, a dragon break when it switched on, this seems perfectly plausible. However, we see no trace of it in the Elder Scrolls Online, so it may not have happened that way. Given that the siege comes from the Mythic Era into the Fifth, I'd at least expect something of the mural logicians to be present at the time of ESO. Um, it's possible that this is one of the points where they um, where they were entirely phased out of Tamrelic Prime. That's one way you could get around it. But it would have been nice to see if there'd been a nod. And it's also another part of the bits that build the picture of the new medium as a dragon break machine, which could also result in multiple new mediums. It almost has to in some ways for the rest of what happens to the new medium to make sense if the siege of Alanor continues into the fifth era particularly because the fifth era is also coda um, and also because of the stuff that happens to the new medium after the Tiber Wars. The new medium gets destroyed after the initial wars of conquest by Zurn Arctus. The Arcturian Heresy says this quote After its work on Somerset Isle a new threat appears a rotting undead wizard who controls the skies. He blows the Numidium apart, but it pounds him into the ground with its last flailings, leaving only a black splotch. The mantella falls into the sea, seemingly forever. This is strongly implied in the Heresy's narrative to be the Underking, Zurin Arctus. But by this account, the Numidium is destroyed for personal reasons. Revenge against Tiber Septim or a failed attempt to reclaim his soul being the most likely ones, in my opinion. The motivations presented in The Elder Scrolls 2 itself are a little different. The player's initial correspondence states this, quote, After the complete and total destruction of all his opponents, Septim begins using the Numidium to crush the neutral royal families of Tamriel, so that he could enthrone only persons he knew to be loyal. His Imperial Battle Mage was furious at this use of his creation, and fought to reclaim the Mantella. 
In the ensuing battle, both the created and the creator were vanquished. The heart they shared was blown out of reality into the netherworld they call Aetherius. Numidium's body was scattered throughout Tamriel and the Imperial Battle Mage, without his life force, went into a semi-slumber in a subterranean vault. Now this puts disagreement between Tiber and Zurin as one of principle. It's essentially like Tiber pointing a nuke at his subject peoples and telling them to behave, which Zurin doesn't think should happen. However, for this to be true, it seems like there should be some evidence that it was deployed against Tiber Septim's new empire. It's not like um, you object to something in strenuous terms if someone's only thought about it. But even the correspondence here doesn't actually detail any real deployments of the new medium, so I'm really not sure what to make of it, whether it actually was deployed or not. But the key takeaway here is that the new medium was destroyed by Zurin shortly after Tamriel was conquered. After that, the Blades then spend a bunch of time gathering up all the pieces to reassemble it, and we get the plot of the Elder Scrolls 2. Uh, the end uh, result of this being that the Numidium is activated again in the late Third Era and causes a Dragon Break. Uh, this was the original Dragon Break in terms of the series ideation and the order in which stuff came out. The concept of Dragon Breaks was invented after the Elder Scrolls 2 to reconcile the multiple possible endings to the game. Uh, I've covered Dragon Breaks themselves in one of the first episodes of this podcast again if you want to check out that concept in a bit more detail. In essence, the dragon break that was caused here, also called the Warp in the West, meant that all possible factions in the Iliac Bay got to use the Numidium at once, establishing themselves as a dominant player in the region. This, And it was also called the Miracle of Peace, another name for it, which I really shouldn't forget because this is part of the point. Um, this is where the comparison between the Numidium and nuclear weapons sort of gets its another second win to him it's a bit of a flimsy theory but it's where it gets one of its strongest points for me but that peace was brought by the deployment of a destructive force not seen on tamriel for many ages like the use of nuclear weapons on hiroshima and nagasaki which has in theory at least brought about peace between the world's various nuclear powers you'll notice that following the warp in the west no single power dominates the iliac bay despite what actually happens at the end of the Elder Scrolls 2 if you play it through. The player gets to give the totem of Tiber Septim to their faction of choice, and they conquer everything. And you would expect some degree of single power dominating the Iliac Bay, but here the mutual use of the Numidium by all of the factions holds them in check, much like the theory of nuclear peace is supposed to do. After the warp in the west, the Numidium is destroyed again, and the timelines all converge again. We don't know precisely how, but there's no mention of the Numidium being present after that point. Despite this, we do get a version of the Numidium surfacing again in The Elder Scrolls 3, uh, with Dagoth Ur constructing a Kulakan, also called the second Numidium in a few places. According to the Dagothur's plans document, which we've already talked about, Akula Khan was, quote, constructed according to the principles and rituals pioneered by the Dwemer Kagranak. Although quite what this means, I'm not sure. When we see Akula Khan in the game, it's built around the heart of Lokan, I mean, presumably in the same way that the original Numidium was. However, we get no indication that it was using pieces of the original. And from what we can see 
A Kula Khan looks much more organic than the Numidium. There's actual bone-like ribs and a spine that we can see when the Nereverine is in the heart chamber. And this is probably because it's using whatever materials Dagothur had to hand, which I guess was the malleable form of corpus monsters, much more than it was the metal of the Dwemer's original construction. So that means that the principles of the Numidium's construction may well be just as much philosophical as anything else, because Dagothur didn't have the original materials to hand if we think that the Tribunal Temple were right in their assertion that it's being constructed according to the principles of Kagranak. I think it's a fairly questionable thing to do, to be fair, so I don't lay a huge amount of stock on it, but if that's the case, then Akula Khan may have been a reiteration of the philosophy that led to the original Numidium, or maybe a changing up of it. Dagoth Ur's goal of subsuming everything within the Blight seems quite different from the Dwemer's intent with the Numidium, that that is assuming that the Numidium was a transcendence device. If the Numidium was intended as a simple war machine, then it could be in line with that, given that we have this particular line from Dagoth Ur in the Elder Scrolls 3. Quote, Akula Khan will serve three purposes. First, it will be the champion of my armies, liberating first Vardenfell, then Morrowind, and then perhaps the rest of Tamriel. Second, it will serve as a sower and cultivator of the divine substance derived from the heart. Three, it will serve as the prominent banner and symbol of our cause, to defy the Empire, to liberate mortals from ancient superstitions, and to glorify our crusade against the gods. It's possible that the Dwemer intended the Numidium to be a war golem, but we have little indication of that. Dagothur's dialogue indicates that he does intend the Numidium to be a disperser of the Blight, which makes his view of what the Numidium is supposed to do much broader than that of the Dwemer. Dagothur's intentions for the Blight are this, if we can take his word for it. Quote, I will continue to broadcast divine power upon the Blight Winds so that it will touch every soul in Vardenfell and then more broadly across the waters to the rest of Morrowind and Tamriel. In time, every mortal in Tamriel shall feel the liberating contact with the divine. This is essentially saying that he'll spread the Blight that is corporous to everyone on Tamriel. For the original Numidium, we only have indications that it was meant to be used on and by the Dwemer. Akula Khan was thus intended to be a more universal form of ascension or transcendence, if I can put it that way, and that's moving beyond the original Dwemer designs. I don't think the Dwemer ever meant for the rest of Mundus to join them in becoming a god. It's fitting, I think, then, that the final iteration of the Numidium is one where it stands more or less alone without anyone else on Tamriel or on Mundus and without the Dwemer. That final iteration, as far as I'm concerned, is Coda. In Coda, the Numidium has destroyed Nern. It doesn't seem to have any connection to anything other than itself. It seems to have its own motive power and not be reliant on anything much to do with the Dwemer. It's also seemingly got a bunch more in the way of powers, with the ability to delete ancestral lines from existence, if we take the ancestral side as a literal weapon. I guess this was derived from the Numidium's ability to cause dragon breaks. If you can get time to break, you can probably quite easily delete whole genealogies. When you can break time at will, then the beings that are subject to the time to time become 
very, very vulnerable to that sort of thing. This is where most of the stuff about the Numidium being associated with negation comes from, with the no of Numidium emerging in the build-up to Coda among the fandom, particularly the comic Prophet of Landfall. The Numidium takes on the role of the nothing, which isn't necessarily the same thing as being a void. Bear in mind that Nern in Coda is clockwork, not an absence of things altogether. And that sort of thing reminds me about how ancient cosmologies tend to see a kind of a pre-creation or a pre-order cosmos, to use probably the better term. And full credit to the Bible Project for this illustration. I'm just pinching it wholesale. But when you look at creation myths of Babylonia and and Sumeria and Egypt, all of those sorts of peoples, they don't conceive of the pre-creation state as a space with literally nothing in it like the secular modern mindset would have it uh for for them pre-creation disorder and sorry this also includes the hebrews by the way for for them pre-creation disorder is symbolized by an ocean which the chief deity then brings order to in various ways some of them fight it some emerge from it and some speak over it and stuff happens I'm wondering if the Numidians know could be something similar, an infliction of a nothing that is different to our current concept of nothing. This has also been pointed out in a few places in programming language terms, in that nothing can be both zero and null, which have different effects when you come across them in particular programming languages. Uh, I think it's also possible that you do have that sort of programming end-of-line hint um, with it as well, if we take a look at the sort of the metatextual meaning of the new medium in Coda. In one of the original Coda discussion threads from 2014, Tosok states this as part of a statement which was approved of by MK, so I'll claim some degree of authorial intent or at the very least approval and agreement with that sentiment. So, quote, Numidium represents the non-contributor who sits back and naysays everyone else's ideas instead of inventing their own Tamriel. So this is the end of the line, but not necessarily a programming sense in an end of discussion sense. Because in the Anuic sense, if everything is set in stone, nothing can move, nothing can be expressed. The Numidium's world refusals become refusals of everyone else's worlds, everyone else's versions or thoughts about Tamriel. It also seems that those refusals may have become its undoing, um, at least in the sense of the comic itself, because Jubal uses its own lack of speech, its own empty speech bubbles, to actually slice off the Numidium's head. So if you're well, I'm not going to delve into the meta-commentary on that here, um, but I think there's some fairly obvious takeaways you can take from that. I just want to close by talking about th- what all of these different versions of the new medium mean. Um, the new mediums called various things in, it, in its history. You've got Anumidum in the Skeleton Man's interview, um, and that's also been used as part of a a nod towards what Anu represents and tying the Numidium in with Anuic stuff. Um, Akula Khan is the second Numidium and that sort of thing. Rather ironically, I think, 
given that this kind of signifies either one true version or nothing at all, we should finish on the reflection that there are several different Numidiums, or is, is that Numidia? I don't know. There's, I did try looking up the Roman province of Numidia as part of this cast, but I can't see anything in its history that would particularly tie it to the Numidium. If I'm getting it wrong and not going in deep enough, please shout at me in an email and tell me what connections there are. I would love to hear them. But anyway, tangent aside, uh, thanks to the Numidium being rebuilt, reused or repurposed, imitated, resurrected, the, the thing that stands for annihilation and nothingness and all those similar concepts has become something with myriad ends and purposes. I think the only real constant is that the Numidium is used as a tool of control, either by itself or by others. The supreme irony being, maybe, that in spawning all of these different versions and previous activations, that the Numidium has entirely moved away from its original purpose and spawned a multitude of different existences where its original intent was to annihilate them. And that's about all I've got to say for the Numidium this time round. Next time, we will be taking a look back at ancient history again in the first era, looking at the one of the most important humans within the history of Tamriel, who forged the first of the human empires and discussing what that means for Tamriel as a whole. Next time, we're asking, who is Alessia? And until then, this podcast remains a letter written in uncertainty. You've been listening to Written in Uncertainty, a podcast written and hosted by Aramithius and mixed and mastered by Dopportunity. The music for this podcast has been kindly provided by Jan Glembotsky. Check them out on SoundCloud under Songs from the Lost Land, and I'll see you next time. I'm Pylon. And I'm Doc. And if you've ever played an Elder Scrolls game, you've probably used UESP.net to help you find information about a quest, dive deeper into lore, or really learn anything about the Elder Scrolls. But did you know we have a podcast too? Every week we bring you the latest in Elder Scrolls news, dig deeper into topics surrounding the game, and have a ton of fun while doing it. You can find us on your favorite podcatcher by searching the unofficial Elder Scrolls podcast. Can't wait to see you all there. Hey, I'm Tom. And I'm Stuart. And we're from the Dungeons & Dragons Lorecast. We talk about all things connected to D&D lore. And we're on the Robots Radio Network. So if you're into Dungeons & Dragons or you're into lore, then come check us out. You can find us on any podcatcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get podcasts. Roll more dice. That's the Dungeons & Dragons Lorecast. In a world where solid-state electronics and vacuum tubes are still meta, people never stop loving atomic-powered everything. A chosen 500 stepped inside a subterranean vault to be spared the nuclear horror of the inevitable Great War. 25 years later, they emerge after the fallout settles to retake Appalachia. Among them, two former rivals whose blood feud will tear West Virginia apart in their epic struggle for survival. Chad, a vault bro who has a strength of 15, an intelligence of two, and is a complete wasteland dickhead. 
Simon, a complicated anti-hero who chooses light and hope, but accidentally becomes a cannibal and wakes up naked and afraid with a Scorch Beast Queen after a date goes terribly wrong. What? I mean, it's a wild wasteland, right? This dark humor radio drama will have you driving off the road and crawling out from under the fallout. Two men. One wasteland. And so many nukes. Chad, a Fallout 76 podcast. Rated R. Now streaming on your holotape player podcasty thing. Hey, Simone. Yes, Chad? What would you say is your favorite bad movie? Oh, where would I start? But probably at Zombie Strippers. Oh, yeah, which we've actually done on our podcast, Fresh Tomatoes, the movie podcast. This is a podcast where we take some of the worst movies ever created, and even some of those movies that you might have thought were brilliant, but still got a bad critic score, and we say nice things about them, because you know what? Someone put the effort in, so we're gonna be there fighting in their corner. Absolutely, Chad. Even if the movie was total garbage, there are some makeup artists that gave it their all, and we're here to recognize that. Exactly. And with really fun themes every week, such as National Treasure Week, Weddings Week, uh, movies with Jeremy Irons and dragons in them, how could you go wrong by joining us every Tuesday and Thursday for some optimism in your life. And like we say at the end of every episode, we love you and there's nothing you can do about it. We love you and there's nothing you can do about it. Goodbye! Bye.